0: machine is like, maybe I'm autistic. It's just hard for me because it's new. Not that it's different. It's so weird. (laughs) I was like struggling with Zoom, an application I have used uh, 50,000 times in the last three years. Um, Like it's the first time all over again. Oh my gosh, Josh, wait, wait, what do you use to record? if, If you don't mind my asking.
1: Oh yeah, I don't actually use Zoom to record anything. So I use like a background app to record everything. That's how I do it.
0: It's really yeah, that's interesting. I do remember when I joined uh, your program and I feel like um everybody does tend to use like yeah, actual podcasting software. But you know, we're just getting started here. We're building from the ground up, you know, one one step at a time. You
1: know, you're doing better than me. I mean, the quality of your stuff, um, audio-wise things better than me. So you're ahead of me, man. You're ahead of me.
0: <laughs> not not at all, not at all. Uh ladies and gentlemen, before we go too far, I feel like I should pause here and introduce my guest who i am delighted to have joining me on the air here today we have someone who means actually a bit to me and i'll explain why in a moment we have the one and only josh luti welcome to the program here comes the backlash (laughs) i totally choked there Um, did i say your last name correctly i think i kind of choked there
1: (laughs) yeah 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 um you did it's not really my last name but it does have some meaning to me so that's why i use it but um Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Paul House. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That's really funny because I was going to ask. if You may have been perhaps my first guest to use their actual like government name (laughs) on the show, but it seems the anon. Not quite.
1: Not quite. No. No. No.
0: (laughs) Good. Actually, I'm glad. I like these anon, anon, anon conversations that we that we've been having. It's fun. It's best to keep it a little bit separate, I guess, from your uh, real life or or government name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you can never be too schizo these days, can you?
0: Um, we'll find out. We're going to definitely test the limits, or at least that's my personal plan, is to see how how far we can go. Um, Josh, I wanted to pause, actually. Uh, Josh had me on his program back in uh, November, I guess it was now, or maybe early December. And uh, it was just after I'd been on Thoughts and Prayers, which, uh, shout out to Q&A, they had brought me on the program, and you actually invited me on your show. And it was really uh, touchy, even surprising that someone uh, heard that and still wanted to have me on their show. Quite frankly, I was really, uh, maybe... A, a little surprised and alarmed uh maybe concerned for your health even it was really nice and it was very actually truly affirming and it made me feel really great like it was a great time and it kind of gave me like the confidence really that i needed to be able to finally start doing something about it myself so i wanted to say that because i just it means a lot to me that you did that you've created a monster perhaps but uh but thanks josh it it means a lot
1: Uh, no 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 problem man no problem yeah as i said uh when i had you on i was impressed with what you said on thoughts and prayers in regards to uh, 9-11 you also talked about the occult and stuff like that it's very interesting stuff so I decided you know you speak my language so that's why I wanted to have you on I'm glad to see you doing really well with the podcast it's great to see and yeah means a lot to me that you feel that way so thanks
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I guess I maybe I shouldn't give you too much credit just in case, you know, like, <laughs> bye-bye, <laughs> you know, they're going to say oh it's Josh's fault, is it? That I don't want to bring any t- trouble on your back there. Um Josh, I have so many questions for you actually. We've been mutuals for quite a while I feel like in terms of t- twitter time anyway and covid or or new normal time it's been an epoch uh in the trenches we've been fighting the information wars together you have a podcast i would kind of consider yeah i don't know so i shouldn't qualify it you are a journalist you're a citizen journalist you bring a lot of really quality information to people through your independent endeavors so um i just yeah welcome to here comes the backlash man thanks for being here
1: oh yeah, thank you and thanks for the kind words appreciate it
0: Let's go back to the beginning, Josh. What should people know about you just as a person? You're, you're in a non, obviously. We're, we all are. But, you know, we always let the masks slip a little bit, I suppose. <laughs> what should we know about you?
1: Yeah, I guess recently I haven't been tweeting too much. Ever since Elon took over, I've kind of been a bit demoralized a bit because I was tweeting a lot, I guess, during vaccine mania towards the end of 2021. And at that time, it was kind of like a white pool moment because everyone seemed to, you know, be on the right page when it came to resisting. Everyone was sort of against, you know, the Davos agenda, I suppose, and what was happening with vaccines. When Elon sort of swooped in mid-2022, I sort of got demoralized a bit. So I haven't been tweeting as much. Um, Obviously, I do my podcast as well. I guess the main topics that I like to talk about is CBDC because that's the sort of main thing that's on my radar at the moment. That's what I tweet about, but yeah, I don't tweet too often at the moment. I've taken a bit of a break from, I guess, the dissident space, but I'm still popping in every now and again and probably pick things up again towards the second half of 2023 when it comes to the podcast and tweeting if I'm still out on Twitter and Elon doesn't print some um, authentication scheme. That's I guess the basic gist of what I'm doing on Twitter and with my podcast. So, yeah.
0: For sure, yeah. I was going to say, I feel like I haven't seen you as often, for sure. Although you never know, it could just be a trick of the algorithm. You know, these days, some of yeah, you yeah. <laughs> individuals just go up into the void. I even try to use like the, that following tab, the pure timeline, as I call it, where it's just the chronological feed. And I still feel like I'm missing key tweets, but I don't blame you for you know wanting to take a break, certainly. We were kind of talking before we came on the air, and I feel um, it's it's good to take a break because this these topics are kind of heavy, right? Like it's important. It's important. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, um, but it's good. It's good to take a pause when you need to. And I'm good for you for realizing when you needed to. Not everybody on Twitter can say the same. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> there are some people who maybe need a, a little bit of a rest. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell sometimes. Not you, not you. The tweets are great.
1: But yeah, I, I do need to start tweeting more because yeah, I, if I do want to get my message across, uh, I do need to start tweeting more. Yeah, I do notice if like I reply to someone a lot on Twitter, they do tend to see my tweets a bit more. So that's a little pro tip for anyone who... Once more people will see their tweets.
0: Maybe I'll get like an AI or no, that's no, that's not a good idea. I'll hire a Zoomer just to kind of tweet. Reply. It's, pretty, it's a, That would be a lot. It's a lot of social management, but that is a good tip, tip. Just the statement. Actually, I think now that you say it, you are right, because I think that's why I tend to see a lot too. It's the people I interact with the most, with some exceptions. I feel like there's definitely some. I feel like they're trying to separate us <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. For you sure, know, yeah. Like <laughs> people are too powerful together. Move them apart. Oh, you know these people like they clash. You know, let's bring them together, even though they kind of tend to agree on most topics. I feel like there's a lot of like social alchemy, almost like that. You know, behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of like, um, let's say, shadow censorship going on. I think, even if like I, like I, I have like these regulars on my feed. You know, the for you feed and. Mm-hmm. I mean, I follow like 700 people, but it feels like only 20 people regularly show up in my or You feed. And if I stop liking their posts after a few goes of Twitter, they like just disappear. I don't see them again.
0: Hmm. That is so weird. I wonder, it must be so complicated too, these like, I don't know, these algorithms. I guess they release the public one. I don't know. People look through that. I'm not sure that I am. No, I, first of all, I question whether that's really the full public, uh, just this disclosures, all of them. And maybe we'll talk about that for a second. These disclosures that uh, Twitter has been doing this algorithm, I don't know. I just it just feels like there's got to be more or, or there is more to the story. But even in that, there was quite a bit of sophisticated, uh, like up boost, up and, and down boosting or whatever, you know, a lot of throttling, very interesting triggers. Uh, so there's clearly a very um, sophisticated, not just surveillance operation, but they're it's actionable. Right. They're they're acting on the things that they're learning uh, in real time, which is like so fucking freaky. So maybe I should not be on Twitter as much. I, maybe I should join you, Josh, and go heads down for a little bit.
1: uh, if you want but i recommend if you want you know your podcast to grow i think you should still be on twitter i mean despite the crazy shadow censorship and whatever elon's got up his sleep um, i shouldn't be calling him elon i should be calling him musk i shouldn't be on first name terms with him um we'll probably get into that later it's sort of a necessary evil at this point isn't it unfortunately
0: it is it's kind of fun twitter is a space it's it is interesting especially once you i guess tune out just like this like You have to develop a filter and just realize what it is. And it's a game in a lot of ways. You you have to be kind of unemotional about it in some ways uh, without being detached. It's complicated to navigate it. But I feel like there is a balance that can be struck at times. uh, Yeah, when you're not completely unhinged uh, and unrested like some folks and maybe even me for sure here and there. But part of my project is pushing my own sanity, I guess, to the limits. It's part of the, it's part of the craft in my case, but there are other people I think that (laughs) definitely could use a break. Um, Actually, I want to say this. I was on your program and you kind of asked me about this topic of Elon Musk's uh, takeover of Twitter. And I think I was probably Pollyanna a little bit at the time. And I still think what it's kind of true that there is this opposition at the higher echelons of power and there is clearly a struggle of sorts going on as to any of those sides you know representing our interest that's probably not likely it seems and certainly elon does not seem to be the freedom fighter that his biggest champions wanted him to be when he first took over twitter but you were correct i feel like definitely on elon musk from the get-go what's that position been like and where are you now
1: yeah well it goes all the way back to Pre-COVID, actually, I remember when um, he first showed up on the Joe Rogan podcast, I think it was late 2018, the one where he um, smoked weed and everyone went crazy. Mainstream media was like, oh, yuck, Elon's on Joe Rogan smoking weed. And then I guess the more maybe dissident right was saying, oh, look at Elon, he's so cool, he's on Rogan smoking weed. But I think a key thing that people missed out on when that happened was I think Elon used that as a way to initially sell his Neuralink program because in that episode with Rogan, he talked a lot about the dangers of AI um, and how AI was going to overtake us. He was being sort of real, um, it, it was a real sort of like creepy, you know, vibe that I got when he was talking about AI and towards... The end of the episode he's like, oh well, that's why I've started Neuralink, and Neuralink's solution to how humans can keep up with AI. So I think that whole smoking weed sort of psyop thing was a way to get people's attention to the episode, and a way to really start making people aware of what's going on with Neuralink. And I, and he did mention it on another follow-up episode that he did with Rogan, that's where it started for me with Elon. From a young age, um, you know, my mum, <laughs> she. Uh, was always red-pilling me. She's always sort of been red-pilled. So I got a helping hand when it came to getting red-pilled. I didn't have to do it myself. I got a lot of help from my mum. She would tell me stuff that, oh, you know, one day people are going to have chips in their brains and hands and people will be paying for things with a chip in their hand and stuff like that. And she would say, everyone in Hollywood is a pedophile and that sort of thing. So <laughs> pretty pretty creepy as like uh, you know, a 10-year-old hearing that I'm like, Okay, all right, but um, it was weird because like you always have this sort of like um, default respect towards your parents but then my mom would say this crazy shit and I'll kind of be like, okay, and like at first growing up I thought she was crazy and then I see like how smartphones have developed from your basic iPhone to an iPhone where you can pay for your face and stuff like that and how we've gone from you know, your MP3 player with basic wired earphones to AirPods. And I can see it. Like, once you're awake to it, you can see all this stuff. You know what I mean? It's a bit like that. You know that thing where there's, they tell people to um look at the guy in a white shirt, I think, or there's this experiment they did with like, they tell people to look at a basketball game and look at the basketball. And then they get a gorilla to run around the court and no one notices the gorilla. Um, because they're so focused on the basketball. And I feel like that's what it's like when it comes to being aware of the agenda. Once you're aware of it, you see it. If you're not aware of it and you're focused on all the other things that the regime wants you to be focused on, you just don't see it. You don't see the gorilla because you're focused on basketball. This is going back to Elon now. Yeah, so I was able to see it because I was... As I said, I got the helping hand when it came to getting red-pilled. On the one hand, I'm sort of frustrated because no one sees it, but on the other hand, I've got to realise it's not as easy um, for other people as it is for me. So I was able to see, you know, this agenda with him for a long time. There are other people out there who, I guess, can alert people to um, Elon's agenda, people like Whitney Webb. That's probably your number one source to go to I'll, I'd recommend, uh, Whitney Webb. Not just only on her own podcast, but when she goes on other people's shows, she definitely wakes people up to what's happening with um, Elon. I see what's going on with Neuralink and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, I've had fitness feelings on my show and he's got a really good take on it as well. So, um, yeah, Um, that's all I have to say about
0: that. Just shout out. Fitz. I I call him Fitz now. I don't know. He's amazing. Fitness villains is a goat. He's a
1: goat.
0: (laughs) He is a goat for sure. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Uh, Josh, that was really fascinating. I have a few things actually, but let me just say I love how you, you express this way that you um how do I say this? I guess like you have reflected on difficult experiences that you had. It wasn't easy to have a mom that was so uh, red pilled and, and telling her ten year old all about it in, in detail. Maybe you know it was probably not an easy experience, but you've uh, reflected upon it and and some of the challenges I guess that you faced uh, in other ways and found like the value in them, and I think that's very admirable. I just wanted to say I liked that part of your story very much, and I think and it is interesting that as we get like older and we have like more wisdom, I guess and experience, how we can look back and contextualize and, and apply the sight that. that. That you see now that you're describing how you have this ability to see the the narrative in a much different way, uh, kind of almost direct that back onto your own past life and experiences and kind of re-see and review like the things you've lived through almost in in a new light, in a sense as well. It's almost what I I perceive from you.
1: Mm, mm, Yeah,
0: for sure. That was just my weird uh, poetic ramblings, <laughs> which I want to do on this particular program. But I feel like uh, the whole thing with Elon Musk, you are right. It's like, a, I call it counter narrative, you know, like TM, but there is this kind of structured opposition. And so it, I guess either way, it's like, we're fucked, right? So I'm not really viewing it from like a moral side, but do you see like kind of conflict or struggles or like internecing warfare sort of at the at the highest powers of visible power in the, in the planet?
1: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, I don't think Elon Musk is as bad as Bill Gates. I mean, I'm I'm willing to say that. I'm not saying like Elon Musk is like the evilest person going around. I mean, to me, it's quite clear Bill Gates is way more evil than Elon Musk, as far as I'm concerned. So I don't. I I legitimately think you know Elon Musk and Bill Gates don't see eye to eye. I think that's true. Um, but they probably see eye to eye on more things than what we probably think. That's probably my stance on it. But yeah, I think um fitness feelings again, he said something really interesting about this. He said that um during uh the COVID scam, it seems that I guess the regime spoke so to speak realized that the whole thing was so um horrible to live through that they just had to roll back on it because even though COVID gave them a lot of power, just the fact that the world was just locked down and so shit um, meant that it wasn't really sustainable (laughs) for them. Um, And, and yeah, I think Elon might legitimately oppose some superficial elements of, you know, biosecurity and stuff like that. Um, But at the same time, it's kind of contradictory because he's championing the uh, Neuralink and stuff like that. It's really complicated. I do see that there there is a struggle amongst the power structure up top. I think they see eye to eye on more things than we think. But in some ways, I think Elon, the fact that Elon has had to be the front man when it comes to social media now, I guess, is good in a way because it's better than having Bill Gates in charge. I mean, people were in support of Bill Gates doing all this stuff and it would be like totally um, black pill. The fact that um, I guess the regime has seen that it's necessary to put Elon in charge of something like Twitter is sort of like good news in a way. But I guess the bad part is that I think people are getting a bit too excited and getting too carried away. And if he succeeds, I think people are going to accept stuff like authentication Um, Uh Neuralink, God forbid, that sort of thing That's the danger So on the one hand it's good news that they need someone like Elon to come in and convince a lot more people about certain agendas But I think people have got to be wary of the agendas that he may push despite the fact that he's based or whatever
0: You said it so well. I think you said almost what I think I was trying to say when we spoke about this last time, in the sense that Bill Gates would be much worse than Elon. Or like, how do we, what value can we find? Because that is the reality, right? Elon Musk is in charge of Twitter. Is it something that we should be doom-pilled over? Or is it something we can maybe find ways to work and extract value? Although I will say it is, you know, at the end of the day, it's all stage management. You, You called him a front man at one point. That's exactly, I think, correct that all of these figures are... Not puppets, maybe isn't the right word, but definitely symbols or cutouts, you know? And also the one thing you said is about him being on Joe Rogan and smoking the weed. It kind of reminds me of that how you doing kids, fellow kids meme or, w- or whatever. Makes me wonder, did he sire a child with grimes just to get in with the hip art, weird new wave kind of people? <laughs> I can't believe I call them new wave. It's like, it's so old. But you know what I mean? Like he's like, why? It's so random to me. It was so random to me always that those two were together. Um, and I just now wonder, I- I'm rethinking everything josh you've opened my eyes
1: yeah yeah i don't i don't know too much about what's going on there but uh whitney webb i have mentioned this recently on the rare candy podcast about how you know people in the Epstein network were pair, paired up with certain people. So maybe there's something going on there, but I won't say too much about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, was incredible. it was incredible to hear Whitney Webb on, on Rare Candy. Uh, oh
1: yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> that I
0: mean, did you, so did you listen to Rare Candy like during, you were so, I, yeah, and during your time, you were in Australia, I believe, right? I, I know from my vantage point, which we're all looking through weird filters, but it seemed like, Australia and Canada were trying to race to be like which Western country could be the biggest nightmare place to live during the COVID nineteen crisis. Hmm. Unfortunately, yeah, that, that I, was the two leading horses for sure.
1: For sure, I don't yes.
0: know who do you one. I, I they both were so. It's like it kept trying to become more atrocious. It was really something. But what was your experience? You know, uh, in like in COVID in in Australia, that seemed just. Yeah, what was that like?
1: Yeah. um... Just back to your point, who won? I'd say Australia won on lockdowns, but Canada won on vaccine passes. Yeah. That's my take yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. just <laughs> it. we'll say that. But um yeah, what was the experience like in Australia? Well, I don't it wasn't as bad as what it probably looked like on Twitter. What people outside of Australia were seeing on Twitter was the most extreme parts of what was going on. People getting shot in the street that wasn't happening on every street corner that was because people were protesting rightly so um and it definitely was you know scary and authoritarian but it wasn't happening happening everywhere um because you know people weren't protesting everywhere um so yeah it, it was it was probably quite similar to how blue state in america was um was there any state in America, in particular, had pretty harsh lockdowns. I'm thinking maybe California was pretty bad. I would say Australia was probably pretty similar to California. Um, but I'm I was out in the region, so a bit outside of um, Melbourne, Victoria. The mask mandate wasn't being taken too seriously. I think it probably was a bit more in the city. You know, things are a bit more laid back out in the region. So I was a bit lucky in that regard. I didn't have to. Um, experience the real authoritarian regime, which was happening in the city center of Melbourne. Uh, it was just Victoria and New South Wales, which had a lot of problems when it came to um, COVID authoritarianism. And, you know, as you said, Canada, Australia um, were probably the worst in the Western world when it came to lockdowns and vaccine mandates, for sure. But it wasn't like Nazi Germany, where 95% of the population were you know, fully on board with what was going on. In the city centre, it was taken pretty seriously, but apart from, like, the CBD area, no one really cared too much about Vax passes, so that was, like, a white pill moment. Like, you you could go to a hairdresser or a restaurant and they wouldn't, like, be too fussed about Mm -hmm. vaccine papers and stuff like that. So, yeah, it wasn't as bad as what people outside of Australia may think. But, yeah, despite that, it was bad in certain locations at certain times I did hear pretty bad stories about um for instance I heard one story someone was just like in a car like by themselves eating breakfast and cops were telling them to go home and stuff like that and um you know just being bullies basically so yeah it really depended on the police officer when it came to that sort of thing but yeah um not as bad as what some people may think, but still pretty bad at times. Yeah,
0: and not as not as bad as schizo podcasters on the internet, maybe screaming. <laughs> but um, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was, I'm here in in California, and it was pretty uh, like there, this selective kind of, I guess, selective enforcement, and yeah, just jurisdictional kind of discretion. I think it's what's interesting too. You're right. The Vax passports never anywhere in the U.S. Vaccine requirements, yes. So like for employment, for participation in programs or enrollment in schools, uh, et cetera, definitely was enforced there was uh, it was horrible what happened but with the getting into establishments that was never really success, i don't think successfully executed like there were some places i i think i had to show a card of some sort two different times with my measly one johnson and johnson which i both times got like a, a question about because i only had one uh, thing logged on the card and they were tra- trained you had to have two but it was that was like very so maybe mine was worse in, in here in san francisco actually josh i'm thinking about it i may have been in uh, the a heart of darkness but i think it was never really this like widespread thing though they made it seem like this was going to be the future just to maybe kind of seeing who was going to be obedient i'm just surprised because silicon valley making those kinds of apps and you know surveillance and tracing software that's not hard at all where was peter thiel's qr code scanning app it's just very strange to me that didn't happen but we did not have like an official like vax passport in in the united states anywhere maybe new york had something but there was nothing widespread
1: Oh yeah, oh, okay. Um yeah, in Australia it was a bit more centralized and there was like an actual vaccine certificate, which which was, I think, um, for the most part, um important for tracking VAC status for employment. Pe- people managed to, you know, get like fake versions of it in order to go into venues because the bigger corporations were um more on board with enforcing that for a little while. Um, but Yeah, it was kind of crazy because I remember walking past the CBD and going past your regular big box retail store. um, And there was literally people like lining up in like their hundreds just to go into um, big box store. I mean, we have a Myers here, which is like a sort of, you know, mainstream sort of fashion type store thing. And there were people like lining up waiting for probably half an hour just to go into a store and that that wasn't going to be sustainable. I think Um, The corporations, the big corporations tried to enforce it a bit more. Small businesses didn't really give a shit, but um, yeah, I think they quickly realized that it wasn't going to be sustainable and it only lasted um, for retail stores at least for um, a month. And so, yeah, yeah.
0: It's funny, in US, we were, <laughs> we're so wild west, like you, you literally would be carried, you, you could carry your car, the actual paper certificate from the CDC was optional, you could show a picture of that car, the car in the US, it's a little bit of a, it, we function somehow, at least for now, but it's interworking, it's gonna be a bit chaotic at times. Um, Josh, I want to ask you a question, like, so you were telling me that, like, as a youth, um, like your mom was telling you these kind of stories, uh, not stories, I guess, her, her viewpoints of, of the world that were like harsh and red-pilled um it didn't sound like you were really necessarily buying into them all together then um and then in covid i get some point you you clearly at least became kind of um aware of what was going on but that got mm. that vision that site that you you described was there like a single moment was it kind of an evolution How, what was the journey from then to now
1: yeah so um as you said like um with my mom sort of red-pilling me as i was growing up like the more, like, I grew up, the more I could see things. But at that point, I guess I was, like, a semi-normie. Like, I could see what was going on, you know, with Face ID when the iPhone 10 came out, which was in 2017. And, you know, you know, gave me a few goosebumps when I saw that. But the world was still kind of normal. There was not, like, a COVID event happening or anything like that. And as I said, you know, I saw what was going on the Joe Rogan podcast with Elon when he showed up there. I wasn't too um, focused on you know, uh, elite agendas, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, when COVID hit, um, that's when I knew for sure something was up. And I guess the moment for me when it came to COVID was I, I actually just to go back a step. Now, initially when COVID happened, I was quite worried at the early stages that this had the potential to be something quite big. Because it started in China and the videos that were coming out of China and the fact that the mainstream media was hyping it up a lot um, did worry me because I knew China was a big player in geopolitics. Um, So yeah, from late January to late February, everything was normal. It was just like a Chinese joke, really. But I was looking at the numbers and I said to myself, if it starts appearing in other countries, then I know this shit's going to be for real and lockdowns could quite possibly come to the west i was looking at the numbers every day and then in late february i had a look and i saw there was like an explosion in italy and i thought oh shit here we go this is it and then the stock market crashed a few weeks later and i'm like "Yep, yeah, we're in for it it's happening um so yeah and then from late february to late march you know that was like total craziness clever mania i'm sure it was very similar in the states and supermarket shelves were being emptied and everyone was just losing their minds basically. I got caught up in it too, but at the same time, I felt, you know, that meme where the guy's, you know, sitting on his phone having takeaway and people are fighting in the background. I sort of felt like that a bit, um, yeah. <laughs> but I knew it was a big deal, but I didn't know what the agenda was with vaccines and that I started I went on to Infowars, Alex Jones, because who else do you go to when something like that happens? And yeah, and then so I started watching Alex Jones during that time for a few weeks. And he showed a clip of Bill Gates saying, normalcy only returns once everyone gets vaccinated. And at that point, I knew. I was like, yep, that's the agenda. Fuck. When I saw Bill Gates say those words, I was like, yeah, um... That's it. And, you know, when you see Bill Gates saying something like that, just say to yourself, no way that thing's going into my body. That moment when Gates, you know, fronted up to the TV and, you know, said those words, that's when I knew um, what was going on. So, yeah.
0: It was like a Matrix like moment, like you shifted into like into a new reality almost. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I'm projecting that, but if that's what I felt when you were describing that, like the room just kind of like got clearer, or like I don't know something something uh, Hitchcockian or something. I don't know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, And who else do you turn to? Like Infowars, God, God bless. Like Alex Jones, It's he's complicated. He's almost like an Elon Musk figure in, in, in many ways. Yeah, 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 but for it, sure, yeah. You know, and that's where I, again, say it's, there is value to be had if you approach things like carefully or with some thought. Um, it's probably not your primary news source today, I guess. No, no. Actually, no know, it's always like, like it got you there. somewhere, you know? So like, yeah. Yeah,
1: but, yeah. I, I sort of view Alex Jones, David Icke as like, Elementary school to red pilling. That's how I view those people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's actually yeah, really so. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's like yeah, it is. It's freshman year at uh, at Schizo University. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, undergrad, undergrad with Professor Jones and uh, Dr. David. Who did you turn to? Like, I imagine you eventually progressed beyond like um, Alex Jones. Like, what were the voices? Because you kind of are really into like CBDC. I know you have a lot of uh, just in depth knowledge. Um, what were the sources? How did you become so fascinated in in CBDC?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. So just to backtrack a bit during the whole COVID crisis. So as I said. From that Bill Gates moment um, that I saw on info was till probably like um late 2021. I mm-hmm. thought that COVID was just a pharmaceutical scam. Like I didn't understand, you know, the financial element of what was yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. So um after I guess Alex Jones and David Icke, I progressed to listening to people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Dale Bigtree. Um And, you know, I was sort of, you know, creeped out about the vaccine agenda and I was getting really worried about that. Um, But I did have a feeling there was something a bit more going on. Like it didn't quite make sense to me that this was simply just a vaccine agenda because I thought they probably could have done this a lot sooner if they wanted to. Um, And, yeah, when I found out about CBDC was late 2021. So that was quite late. Um, and I don't consider myself to be a real expert when it comes to CBDC and things of that nature. I've done a few podcast episodes on it, but I'm not like a full on expert about it. There's other people, um, that know a lot more than me. Um, I would refer people, um, to researchers like John Titus, Whitney Webb again, Catherine Austin Fitz, um, Fabio Viggy. He's also a good one. I'm not sure if you read his material, um, I remember the moment I actually found out about CBDC. I was listening to um, the State of the Markets podcast. Now These are like sort of financial um, type guys, but um, they're pretty red-pilled as well. That podcast I would recommend is a good sort of, I guess, transition if people want to, you know, understand the financial aspects of sort of what's going on in regards to elite agendas as well as um, understanding what's going on in the financial world. So yeah, they had a guy called Dan Tubon and uh, he has his own podcast now called Brokenomics. I think you can find him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at KingBingo underscore. Um, Yeah, shout out to Dan Tub. He's pretty good when it comes to this stuff. He was on that podcast and he was explaining how a digital ID was required in order to get the CBDC infrastructure up and running and the whole vaccine pass or authentication scam was a a testing run to see if they can get these digital IDs to work for them. And that would help them get closer to their goal of CBDC. And then he talked about how um, if they succeeded with um, CBDC, it would allow them to put expiration dates on currencies so for example you get paid on a wednesday and then it expires you know the next tuesday if you don't spend it if that's what the central banks or the government want and also how they could program the money so it can't be used within uh, further than five kilometers of your house in the case of a future lockdown that sort of thing so when i heard about that i was like holy shit this cannot be allowed to happen that's how i found out about CBDC, And that's the big concern for us going forward, CBDC, because if that is allowed to, you know, come into existence, there's no going back, you you know, because once once the genie is out of the bottle, I mean, they're going to have these controls and when the time comes, they won't be afraid to use them. I think that's uh, the biggest threat going forward is CBDC.
0: said you're not an expert and sure you're not like an economist or or whatever but no no no, not at all not at all. but you still nonetheless I think it's important the work that it is work it's important the things that like you and I do in the sense this information has to get out right it has to be transmitted to people as 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 best possible and as uh great scale as possible and I think it almost like the work is like translators where there's there are the experts a lot of the experts of course are bought off and so they're not even speaking about the danger of cbdc at all and so you need people do know and pass that information downstream i'm delusional and schizo but i would say i'm of the mind that really there is no such thing as as small influence or small impact because it's like mimetic contagion almost just one person transmitting an idea to one other person is all it takes for something to go forward and get bigger <laughs> dimensions to information on a different level, maybe too, or things can spread faster than we even realize uh, without two people talking. But nonetheless, let's just say that I think influence is misunderstood. We take it for granted, maybe in a sense. And I think don't underestimate yourself because I think you're doing important work. It is good to get that message out to people. People do need to hear this. And it's like the more people are talking about this, the whole system is so easy to shut down if everybody's on board, you know, There's or even half of them. 100%. 100%. The board, you know, we have to say no, thank you. <laughs> we just say, no, we're not doing that. It's There's no violence. There's no scary war. It's just like, we're not doing that. It sucks. But really, truly, it doesn't have to be a, a war. You know, we can just say no, thank you. And you're helping us say no, thank you.
1: Yeah, it's like guerrilla journalism. Like, well, I mean, you could, you know, just be at a bar or something and sort of just let people know, uh, you know, you know, they're, Testing out this digital currency in this particular country, and they want to do this all over the world. And if if this digital currency um, is allowed to happen, you know, they'll have these controls, and that person might go tell 10 other people about it. And that's how the ripple effect happens. So, yeah, no one should underestimate, you know, the value that they could bring when it comes to resisting, however small it may be. It might sound a bit cheesy, but it's the truth.
0: It is the truth, and that's the whole thing too. Like they want us to think things like that are che- like cheesy and cringe. We get conditioned to think that way, so <laughs> we won't do it. It's so true. Uh, using cash is a good one, you know, too. It really very sparks. important. And very important. Have you had that experience, like where uh, rare candy? I feel like the, uh, Glenn was posting about this, where you just like kind of I don't know, using cash. It's nice, and you feel like you get I don't know. It sparks conversation about this very topic sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a bit more of a reserve person, so I don't talk about it when I'm using cash. But um, yeah, I've, I've actually thought about starting to, you know, um, reward people a bit who are using cash when whenever I go out and pay for something. Like I'm thinking, uh, should I give people like 50 cents or a dollar if I see them using cash? And as a little like pat on the back, are you using cash? And that's a good thing. It's important. You know, random, mm-hmm. random acts of kindness. People can do stuff like that. Uh you, you might not have to give people a dollar. You could just say to someone, oh, you know, I like the fact you're using cash. It's good. Um, just little stuff like that. It all helps. You know, it's part of the ripple effect and it's important. But, um, yeah, I would highly recommend to anyone use cash as much as you can. I know it can be tough at times in Australia. It's pretty easy to use cash here. I'm not sure what it's like over there in San Francisco, where you're from, right? Um they, what was that? It's that they hate it here. They want
0: to, you, you probably know how they feel.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and not just using cash, you know, avoiding self-serve machines, um, mm-hmm. um, even avoiding ATMs. Like, instead of going to the ATM, go into the bank and use uh, the teller. you know, keep people in jobs, that sort of thing. You know, you don't want to, you know, build this sort of AI infrastructure for these people, you know. Like, resistance starts at that level. Like, um, you don't have to... Um, go down to your city centre and bang your chest and say you're not happy. Like Resistance uh, is more effective a lot of the time just being passive just by resisting um, the things they want you to do, such as um, paying with card, using ATMs, using reward cards, all that sort of
0: thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Preach, brother. Preach because, uh, yes, effective resistance. That's very important. This whole banging on drum and making a whole gay little protest is so stupid. <laughs> it's not effective. It is theater kid bullshit. Uh, it's doing something that actually, and I don't want to say disruptive. It sounds kind of like leftist or right? whatever. People get us, give me a side eye. But truly, that's direct action. Is If, if you're really going to make a difference, it can truly be nonviolent resistance. In fact, we used to do kind of in like the 9-11 uh, truth days, you'd write things on like a dollar bill. You could write down like, a, I don't know, a message or something, you know, Bush did 9-11 or something ridiculous, really maybe <laughs> a little bit better, or uh maybe you could write down InfoWars.com and put it on, on the bill. Uh, actually, I'm pretty sure I've seen that before, like a stamp from InfoWars on there. Uh I don't know. I've been thinking about pamphlets, literal pamphlets lately, and like, is that effective like finding something on a street or being given a piece of paper with information about CBDC or something, you know, I feel like that is underrated. I don't know this in the United States, like our history is kind of based off, <laughs> off of pamphlets. We had some revolutionary war figures who who did a lot of pamphleteering and then got that message out. I don't know. That's just something I've been nine on lately. Cause I, I don't have enough to do Josh. I need to do something else. Like make a pamphlet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've thought about this myself, like, cause I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan. So um, when I was younger, I used to wear, you know, the Arsenal jacket. And when I'd go to the city, you know, sometimes a few people would, you know, approach me and say, oh, um, how do you think Arsenal's doing at the moment? So if you could wear a T-shirt saying, you know, um, use cash, and that could spark conversation with someone. Um, And, you know, that that could be an easier way to make people come to you instead of you going to them like, shoving information in people's faces I think it's more effective when the person comes to you and they want to learn about the information themselves it's when they become more interested in what you're talking about so that's something I've thought about is you know coming up with a t-shirt that says use cash or say no to a cashless society or you know um fuck the central bankers or something like that you know I think that could be a lot more effective and you know, just trying to shove information in front of people's faces, not to say that pamphlets are ineffective. They are to some extent. That's why, you know, real estate agencies um, and um, big businesses use coupons and they put in the mailbox because it does have some effect. But I think it can be much more effective if you make people come to you. So that's an idea that I've had.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally! Oh my goodness, you're an Arsenal fan. If my sister ever finds out about my dissident <laughs> podcast and finds out I had an Arsenal fan, she'll hate me even more than she's a Tottenham fan. <laughs> she is a Tottenham fan. It's oh okay. uh, no! <laughs> oh my <goodness. laughs> don't worry, she'll already be mad about uh, everything else I've said on this podcast. <laughs> You know, uh let's maybe just make fun of that horrible guy from the bank uh for international settlements again, together for like old time's sake, because I, I love to bash him. You remember that video where he's like just talking about um Augustine Costins, like, is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's his name. He's this he's just this horrible, horrible giant thumbprint of a man. He's just like <laughs> smushed and talking about he's basically just like wants to like. Eat all of your food. And he doesn't say this as the kind of <laughs> pickup, but he's like, I want to eat your babies. It's kind of like the vibe I get from you it. Know? It's just like, baby the world, it's horrible and I will control you. I don't know. I think there's something I feel like we can do with that. That clip, I feel like, is it's been used a lot because it's very persuasive. you know like, uh, I don't know. That's <laughs> the kind of cool that's I wish you could put that on a t shirt. Oh, man. Uh, that uh, that's not a bad idea. That's not a
1: bad idea. Right this
0: home. guy wants to eat your babies. <laughs> Ask me why. <laughs>
1: That central banker wants to take all your money.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a little bit more uh, reserved and probably appropriate. Um, <laughs> we, we can sell both versions, uh, Josh, don't no worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> the trade, version uh, and the loody version. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll do it. We'll give the, uh, we'll, we'll source the money for our, our own uh, central bank during digital currency or, or Bitcoin or something. Oh, hey, actually, really quick. Uh, are you a Bitcoin person at all? Uh, sh- sh- I don't know. Like, do you have any market advice for me? Um, just question on the like market and how are you feeling? Hot? Cold? Neutral?
1: Ah, oh, good question. Good question. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit skeptical about Bitcoin, but at the same time, I see the value that it has. I'm skeptical of the fact that um, of the technology that Bitcoin is running on. I think Bitcoin in isolation um, is you know, valuable to some extent. The only hesitation I would have about investing too much money into Bitcoin is I'm worried that if the powers that be have seen the value that Bitcoin has at an early stage, like say they um, have a big market share in it from back in 2009 or 2010 and you know they're holding a lot of coins um, and they have the ability to crash the market, Um, that could be um, you know a danger so I would say people be cautious when it comes to investing in Bitcoin this is my opinion this is not financial advice if you want financial advice go talk to your financial advisor it's it's my opinion my opinion um, I I would only put whatever you're comfortable um, with losing I, I don't think Bitcoin would ever go to zero but What's it at the moment? It's like 30, 40k maybe unless it's had another you know pump recently. but um, I don't think it's impossible that the market could get crashed as like a demoralization tactic, and that could be a precursor to get people onto CBDC. So I would say be cautious about that, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if Bitcoin goes to a million because it becomes so valuable because you know the currency. Uh, that we're currently using just becomes, you know, so diluted. Um, so, yeah, uh, just just be cautious with it, I would say. Um, I definitely see value in it, but, um, yeah, just only invest um, in Bitcoin, what you're comfortable with. But I think it's also important if you are going to hold some Bitcoin, probably hold it in cold storage. And by that, um, getting a digital wallet, I think you can get something called a Ledger Nano S and, If you have one of those, then I think you can still have your Bitcoins and um, you may still be able to use them without the internet. So that's another pro tip when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, So you don't want to be holding it on just some random exchange like FTX because you might wake up one morning and realize you don't actually have Bitcoin. So yeah.
0: (laughs) Appreciate it. We need to talk markets maybe more Uh, next time you're here, Josh. You seem to have some expertise there. Uh, It just seems like there's you're right in the sense that anything can happen. I feel like with this, uh, with Bitcoin and anything, like the rules don't feel like they're hard and, and sticky anymore. And I, I think about things like the this silver run. I don't know much about like a, markets and finance really to be honest that well. But I know that there's kind of anomalies going on in like the silver market, which is traditionally thought of as a safe investment, you know, uh banks seem risky. And it seems like there's just almost uh it's almost seems a part of that kind of concerted effort to me to to drive people towards CBDC by making everything else just seem it become unstable. You know, it's it's kind of frightening.
1: Mm, yeah, for sure. For sure. So um there are definitely going to be choppy waters um ahead, you know. Um as people say you know try and ride out those waves um, but diversify i think is um you know a decent strategy um i know some people might not <laughs> like that strategy but um yeah in this day and age where you know bitcoin can be 30,000 one day and 15,000 the next you know you want you want to have a bit of bitcoin you know a bit of cash under the bed a bit of silver a bit of gold even if you can invest in that um yeah, stocks. Even if you know if you know how to find a good valuable company, just stay calm. Um, you know, diversify and just you know go along for for the ride. That's all I can say, really. <laughs>
0: It's a ride. We're in it together. The more the merrier, because uh, uh, maybe those waters get less choppy. You know, the more people, more hands on deck, I guess. And I think, yeah, great, great. Not financial advice, uh, just two friends talking on the phone here. I think you're right to have a few hands in, in every pot and just, and the community pot. I mean, people don't like to hear me say things like community pot, but some kind of community trust, uh, some kind of principle around along those lines. It's going to be, I think, necessary at some point. I'm working on the story, tracking down Gate. this long-lost construction. Conspiracy. There's $27 trillion that was stolen, at least ostensibly from American people, maybe the whole planet. Uh, we're going to get paid as soon as I correct the case. So, until that time happens, though, uh, yeah, just be, be be careful out there, right? Markets are kind of hard for people. Finance is uh, something that people will tune out, and that's something that they'll use to their advantage, right? To push CBDC. Mm, for sure, for sure.
1: More. It's boring, it's confusing, but it is important for people to understand. So, um, yeah, just do whatever you can to get interested in it. Uh, I I often recommend, you know, just invest a a bit of like a sizable amount, whatever that may be um, to you personally into, you know, crypto market, stock market. And I think you'll find you'll become much more interested in finance once you've got a a bit of a personal stake in it. So that's something I I recommend to people.
0: I recommend you also follow Josh Aluti on podcast forums. Spotify and Apple, yeah. I thank you for your... Uh, I'm, no,
1: I'm no expert. I'm no expert. No, exactly I, I just come point.
0: in <laughs> That's my point. You're a translator. You can understand it so that you can bring it to people like myself uh, and other fellow non-experts, right? You're able to kind of give us the elevator pitch and explain to us why it matters in a way that uh, people can glom onto very easily. And that's an important, uh, important task and I don't think you should discount it at all, my friend. Thank you for all of that work that you do. Okay, and thank you for being here, Josh Luty. What do you have a final final message uh, for the the people of the planet?
1: Um, no, not really. I, I'll just say that we're um, probably going to be in a rough, in for a rough ride the next few years, and you know, do your best just to you know stay calm and you know um, <laughs> keep a cool head. That's all I got to say, really. Um, but yeah, thank you so
0: much for having me on. It's Pleasure to be here, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for us. Thank you, Josh. You may have to teach me this uh, cool head calm thing that you are describing. I'm not <laughs> sure I've channeled that uh, that energy just yet, but uh, you know, old dogs can sometimes learn new tricks, I suppose. Uh, Josh, what is your uh, handle on Twitter.com?
1: Uh, yes, so my Twitter handle is at Josh underscore Lutey, oh. and I I hope to be tweeting a bit more soon. So. Um, Yeah, hopefully I'll start doing (laughs) that.